Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Says Life Magazine, True Grit is good enough for me. It's good enough for you. And if it isn't good enough for some movie company, then the free enterprise system is really going to hell. Move along! They tell me you're a man with true grit. Well, what do you want? Speak up. I've already wrinkled the paper. It's pretty loose because your makings are too dry. I'm looking for Tom Chaney. Who's he? He's the man that shot and killed my father, Frank Ross. Says the New York Times, as touching as it is irreverently amusing. Marshal Rooster Cogburn and I are going after the murderer, Tom Cheney. How did you light on that greasy vagabond? They say he has grit. He's a notorious thumper. He's not a man I would care to share a bed with. Nor would I. And now, Paramount Pictures presents the Hal Wallace production, True Grit. Starring John Wayne as Rooster Cogburn, the most colorful character he's ever played. If I smelled as bad as you, I wouldn't live near people. Kim Darby as Matty Ross. My God, she reminds me of me. Glenn Campbell in his first big screen role. A little earlier, I gave some thought to stealing a kiss from you, although you are very young. And you're unattractive to boot. But now I'm of a mind to give you five or six good licks with my belt. Well, one would be as unpleasant as the other. True Grit. A slip of a girl. A pot-bellied, one-eyed Western Marshal. And a Texas Ranger wearing breeches a size too big. What are you doing? Looking for sign. You couldn't see it if you saw it. They're trailing the most surprised killer the West ever knew. I'm here to take you back to Fort Smith and hang you. And I think I will not go. Now, how do you like that? Now, you mean to say that you won't go with me on your own free will? You just got it the other way around. Now, you will follow me. I didn't think you'd do it. Says Saturday Review, True Grit is lively, uproarious, high adventure. I mean to kill you in one minute, Ned, or see you hanged in Fort Smith at Judge Parker's convenience. Which will it be? I call that bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. Cogburn, not much. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie True Grit from 1969. 
The studio was Paramount Pictures. Release date was June 13, 1969. The running time, 128 minutes, and was rated G. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 89% fresh from 54 reviews. Their critic consensus reads super weird, so here we go. It says, True grit rides along on the strength of a lived-in late-period John Wayne performance. Obviously, they didn't read this out loud. Adding its own entertaining spin to the oft-adapted source material. There you go, Rotten Tomatoes. I give you 0% fresh on that one. Roger Ebert, though, at the time... Four out of four stars. Here's his much better review. There is a moment in True Grit where John Wayne and four or five bad guys confront each other across a mountain meadow. The situation is quite clear. Someone will have to back up or die. Director Henry Hathaway pulls his telephoto lens high up in the sky. And then we see the meadow isolated there, dreamlike and fantastic. And then we're back down on the ground. And with a growl, Wayne puts his horse's reins in his teeth, takes his rifle in one of his hands and a six-shooter in the other, and charges those bad guys with all barrels blazing. As a scene, it is not meant to be taken seriously. The night I saw a sneak preview, the audience laughed and even applauded. This was the essence of Wayne, the distillation. There was a moment where you finally realized how much Wayne has come to mean to you. I have on occasions disliked his movies, most particularly the Green Berets. But Wayne has a way of surmounting even bad movies, and in 40 years he has also made a great many good ones. In the early ones like The Quiet Man or The Long Voyage Home, he was simply an actor or simply a star. But long before many of us were born, John Ford began to sculpt the actor and the star into the presence. Today, there is no other actor in movies who is more of an archetype. One of the glories of True Grit is that it recognizes Wayne's special presence. It was not directed by John Ford, who in any event probably couldn't have been objective enough about Wayne. But it was directed by another old western hand, Hathaway, who has made the movie of his lifetime and given us a masterpiece. This is the sort of film you call a movie instead of the kind of movie you call a film. It is one of those delightful, joyous, scary movies of all time. It goes on the list with National Velvet and Robin Hood and The African Queen and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre and Gunga Din. It is not a work of art, but it wouldn't be nearly as good if it were. Instead, it is the Western you should see only if you see one Western every three years. An act of denial I cannot quite cr- comprehend in any case. It is based faithfully on Charles Portis's novel, and it tells the story of Matty Ross from near Dardanelle in Yell County. Bordas wrote his dialogue in a formal, enchantingly archaic style that has been retained in Marguerite Roberts' screenplay. Glenn Campbell, who needs some acting practice, finds it difficult to make the dialogue convincing, but Hathaway pulls him through. And Kim Darby, especially in the horse trading scenes, is a wonder. You may even laugh out loud when she observes that geldings in her experience are not a good buy if you mean to breed them. And as for Wayne, I believe he can say almost anything and make it sound convincing. In Otto Preminger's In Harm's Way, he had to say, I mean to get into harm's way. And even he made that sound convincing. Wayne, in fact, towers over this special movie. He is not playing the same Western role he always plays. Instead, he can play Rooster Cogburn because of all the Western roles he has played. He brings an ease and an authority to the character. He never reaches. He never falters. It's all there, a quiet confidence that grows out of 40 years of acting. God loves the old pros. And that's the end of Ebert's review. And man, Ebert nailed everything about the original True Grit, all what it's about. 
It's a Western, after all. Every tale that could be told has already been told already. However, what makes certain Westerns succeed are the actors who sell the script, and John Wayne is what sells the film, along with Kim Darby. True Grit is one of the few examples where the remake is arguably a better film, and the reason is due to the modern remake standing on its own. The overall premise of the film is the same, but it's darker and it goes a bit deeper. Now, that doesn't mean the original film is bad in any way, not in the slightest, but the remake has the benefit of history and an extra 40 years of film experience to add to more nuances to the story. Okay, let's get into the main cast. Of course, John Wayne. He plays Rooster Cogburn. Now, I covered the majority of Wayne's career in the episode for The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. From that film in 1962 until True Grit, Wayne continued his enormous popularity as a Hollywood star. His notable films were Hatari, How the West Was Won, Donovan's Reef, McClintock, In Harm's Way, The Sons of Katie Elder, and The Green Berets. Kim Darby plays Maddie Ross. Now, I knew Darby best from her role as John Cusack's quirky mother in 1985's Better Off Dead, where she was making weird concoctions for dinner. But her career began in the mid-1960s, mostly on TV shows, with True Grit being her first real breakout role on film, and still arguably her best-known role of her career. Glenn Campbell plays LaBeef. Now, Campbell, of course, was best known, and he was famous for being a musician, and he began as part of the famous Wrecking Crew, which was a number of top-flight session musicians who played on countless popular albums in the 1960s, like the Beach Boys and Frank Sinatra and the Monkees and bands like that. True Grit wasn't his first film role, but it was definitely his first prominent film role. After True Grit, his music career became even bigger, and he had an enormous hit with Rhinestone Cowboy in 1975. There's some other great cast members early in their career that include Robert Duvall and Dennis Hopper and Struther Martin. He wasn't early in his career, but again, great actor. The director is, Roger Ebert said, Henry Hathaway. Now, True Grit was one of Hathaway's last films that he would direct as his career started all the way back in the 30s. He directed a number of great film noirs in the 1940s, along with many John Wayne films in the 60s, like The Sons of Katie Elder and How the West Was Won. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So some say that John Wayne's character of Rooster Cogburn is actually based on a real-life U.S. Marshal named Heck Thomas. This would also fit the timeline that the film is supposed to take place, which is the 1880s. Thomas helped end the reign of terror of the outlaws called the Wild Bunch, specifically Bill Doolin. Now, the original book is written in the first person from Maddie's perspective, and Rooster and LaBeef are basically background characters. Mia Farrow was actually cast to play Maddie Ross. However, she was advised not to work with Henry Hathaway because he was considered difficult. Farrow actually asked the producer to replace Hathaway with Roman Polanski, whom she worked with on Rosemary's Baby. But the producer denied her request, and Farrow then quit the film. Other actresses that were considered before Kim Darby were Sandra Locke, Tuesday Weld, Michelle Carey, who was in a number of Elvis Presley films. However, all of those actresses were already involved in other films. Sally Field, Olivia Hussey, and Karen Carpenter, yes, the singer, were also considered for the part before Kim Darby finally landed the role. John Wayne almost cast his real-life daughter for the part, but that was rejected by Hathaway. Now, speaking of Elvis, he was ironically the original choice to play with Beef, not Glenn Campbell. However, Elvis's manager, Colonel Tom Parker, wanted Elvis to have top billing, and that was definitely not going to happen when you have John Wayne in a film. So, goodbye Elvis, hello Glenn Campbell. The Colonel, what a scumbag that guy was. I mean, there could be an entire series just about that huckster, and go check out the Elvis biopic if you want to find out more about him. 
But John Wayne loved the script to True Grit, but he was apprehensive about the part because he wasn't sure how to play Rooster Cogburn, believe it or not. Because the Rooster Cogburn character was not specifically written for him, like so many other characters in different films for John Wayne. Also, one of Wayne's worries was that he was constantly going to have to wear an eye patch. However, that problem was solved by making the eye patch out of gauze, and therefore Wayne could see the entire time. Going back to Mia Farrow's apprehension about working with Henry Hathaway, she was ultimately correct. Kim Darby later stated that she would never work with Hathaway again. Hathaway had no qualms about telling people that he didn't think Darby was attractive enough for the part. Ultimately, his issues were misguided because Darby's performance is a vital part of the movie. And actually, it could be said she's taken more seriously in her role because she isn't as attractive as the other actresses that were up for the part, like Mia Farrow. There could be an entire podcast on this subject again, but I digress. Supposedly, Wayne and Hathaway also had issues with Robert Duvall while shooting, and Wayne and Duvall almost got into a physical fight at one point. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens with the title track sung by Glenn Campbell and was written by Elmer Bernstein. We then see the Arkansas home of the Ross family. The year is 1880. We meet teenager Maddie Ross. Of course, that's Kim Darby. She's very intelligent and responsible for her age. Her father, Frank, is heading on a business trip to buy ponies to breed and looking to get them at a low price, of course. Frank takes a hired hand with him named Tom Chaney, who is a derelict that Frank took in when he was down on his luck. That night, Frank and Tom stop at a saloon to relax a bit. Tom gets drunk and belligerent after losing his money playing cards. Frank tries to get Tom to calm down after leaving the saloon, but Tom can't be reasoned with. Tom, in a rage, shoots at Frank with a shotgun that he was carrying. Tom then steals Frank's money and horse and escapes. Maddie arrives in town with a family friend named Yarnell, where her father was killed to see The Undertaker. However, everyone in town seems to be at the park where a public hanging is taking place. It's an interesting entertainment back in the Old West. After witnessing the hanging, Maddie vows that Tom Chaney will have the same fate when he's brought to trial. Maddie identifies her father's body at the Undertaker's and then goes to the sheriff's office. The sheriff informs Maddie that Tom is likely with another outlaw named Ned Pepper, hiding out in the Indian Nation. Because of this, the sheriff does not have jurisdiction to arrest either man. The case must be handled by the U.S. Marshals. The sheriff gives Maddie a few options about who to hire to catch Tom. One of them is named Rooster J. Cogburn, the meanest of the options given. Of course, that's whom Maddie decides to go with. Maddie instructs Yarnell to take her father's body home and to put him in a better coffin and bury him at a specific cemetery. Also, he, she informs Yarnell to tell her mother not to sign anything until she returns home. As you can tell, Maddie is far more mature than her age. She will handle everything by herself from here on out. Next, we see Rooster Cogburn, John Wayne, bringing in the wagon full of prisoners to the jailhouse. Rooster lives up to his reputation with his no-nonsense attitude and his eye patch. Maddie tries to talk to Rooster, but he slams the jailhouse door in her face. Maddie is staying at a boarding house while she's in town, and this is where we meet a tracker named LaBeef, Glenn Campbell. You're late, Mr. LaBeef. The French is LaBeef. I call it LaBeef. Mr. LaBeef came in this evening. Uh, your spurs, please. My poor chairs is scratched enough already. Uh, right, fam. 
fancy rig, sir. Watch out for the chicken and dumplings. They'll hurt your eyes. How's that? They'll hurt your eyes looking for the chicken. <laughs> you squirrel-headed bastard. Patty, what's your name? I'd like to go to bed now. But first I'd like to see my father's traps. I'll take a guess and say your name is Maddie Ross. This Mr. DeBeef is a handsome man. He needs a bath and a shave. Oh, he hails from Texas. Judge, he's right proud of his colic. How do you suppose he guessed my name? He's a good guesser, I guess. While Maddie is very strong-willed, she breaks down that night in her room when she sees her father's remaining belongings. The next day, Maddie goes to the courthouse in hopes of finally talking to Rooster. The United States Court of the Western District, having criminal jurisdiction in the Indian Territory, is now in session. Is, is that Judge Parker, the hanging judge? Yeah. He's a tough customer. There's no appeal from his court except to the President of the United States. Call Deputy Marshal Cogburn. Mr. Reuben J. Cogburn will take the stand. Sworn this morning, you're still sworn. Take the stand. Defense will cross-examine. Mr. Cogburn, you testified for the prosecution this morning. Now, in order to refresh our memories, allow me to summarize what you said. Now, according to your story, C.C. Wharton grabbed up a shotgun and killed Marshal Potter. Then he turned the gun on you, you say, and you shot him. Then you say the father swung his axe and you shot him, too. The defendant here tried to run, you say, and you also shot him. Just winged him, or he wouldn't be here to pay up. The old man and C.C. hit the ground dead. How long have you been a deputy marshal, Mr. Cogburn? Four years come March. How many men have you shot in that time? The prosecution objects. Oh, rule. How many men have you shot since you became a marshal, Mr. Cogburn? I never shot nobody. I didn't have to. That was not the question. How many? Uh, shot or killed? Oh, let's restrict it to killed so we may have a manageable figure. Well, 12 to 15, stopping men in flight and defending myself. 12 to 15? So many that you cannot keep a specific count. I have examined the records, Mr. Cogburn. A much more accurate figure is available. Come now, how many? Well, count them two Whartons. Twenty-three. I felt you would come to it with a little effort. Twenty-three dead men in four years. That makes about six men a year. It's a dangerous business. Oh, how much more dangerous for those arrested by you. Now, is it not true that you sprang upon old man Wharton and his two sons with a deadly six-shot revolver in your hand? I always try to be ready. Was this revolver loaded and cocked? 
Well, a gun that's unloaded and cocked ain't good for nothing. Just answer my questions, if you please. Well, a question don't make sense. Don't bandy words with counsel, Mr. Cogburn. Yes, sir. I believe you testified that you backed away from old man Warden. Yes, sir. Which direction were you going? Backward. I always go backward when I'm backing away. <laughs> I appreciate the humor of that remark. Aaron Wharton was standing by a pot when you arrived. More like squatting. He was stirring the fire under the scalding pot. How far did you back away? Six, eight steps. Meaning Wharton advanced on you about the same distance? Six or eight steps? Say about 16 feet? Something like that. Then will you explain why the body was found immediately by the wash pot, one arm in the flames, the sleeve and hand smoldering? Them hogs. They was rooting around. They may have moved the body. <laughs> hogs, indeed. Mr. Gotti, do you have any more questions for Mr. Cogburn? None that I'll get a straight answer to. I'm finished with it. You are dismissed, Mr. Cogburn. Call the next witness. After his testimony, Rooster leaves the courthouse and is followed by Maddie. Maddie explains her situation, but Rooster wants nothing to do with the job. However, he changes his tune when Maddie explains that she'll pay him $50 out of her own funds, which is in addition to what he would receive from the government for bringing in a wanted fugitive. Rooster invites Maddie for dinner at the place where he stays, which is a little room in the back of a grocery run by an Asian man named Chen Li. While Maddie wants a man with quote-unquote true grit to apprehend Tom Chaney, the warnings she received about Rooster's drinking were completely accurate. Rooster also wants $100 now because he has to deal with Ned Pepper in addition to Tom Chaney. You are a lot of trouble. Wait till I finish this hand. You can never tell what's in a Chinaman's mind. That's the way he best you at cards. I go. Mr. Rat, I have a writ here says you're to stop eating Chen Li's cornmeal forthwith. Now, it's a rat writ, rip for a rat, and this is lawful service of the same. See? Doesn't pay any attention to me. Outside is place for shooting. I'm serving some papers. place you can't serve papers on a rat baby sister you gotta kill him or let him be what's your thoughts on it you're gonna drink all of that judge parker old carpetbagger but he knows his rats we had a good court going around here till them petty fog and lawyers moved in the rat catcher's too tough on the rats. Give them rats a fair show, they say. Well, what kind of a fair show did they give old man Potter? Tell me that. Maddie returns to the boarding house and runs into LaBeef again.
Sugar? No, thanks. Cream? Please. Oh, just a dab. Oh, Miss Ross. I've been waiting to have some private words with you. And you, dear lady, I find a sweet distraction, as I suppose most men do. Will you excuse us? Well, of course, Mr. Labeef. What do you want of me? Who are you? Well, nobody yet, but I expect to go high. How? Well, to begin with, I expect to marry well. Well, you have the hair comb for it. How'd you know my name was Maddie Ross? I saw your mother yesterday. What business did you have with her? This. Can you identify the man in this picture? That's a likeness of Tom Chaney. There's no black mark on his face. That's him. Well, I'm looking for him, and I hear you're looking for him, too. I know all about your father. How come you didn't show me this last night when we met? Only take one step at a time. That's why I was given two feet. His real name is Theron Chilmsford. He shot and killed a state senator named Bibbs down in Waco, Texas. I've been on his trail the best part of four months now. You some kind of law? Yeah. I'm a sergeant of Texas Rangers. I'm working for the family of the late Senator Bibbs. Chilmsford, or Cheney as you call him, he shot and killed the senator's bird dog. Bibbs threatened to whip him, and Cheney shot the old gentleman while he was sitting in a porch swing. Well, you need not worry about Cheney anymore. I aim to have him hang. The sheriff informed me that you were looking for a man to go after Cheney in the Indian Territory. Well, I've already found one for the job. His name is Rooster Cogburn. He's a deputy marshal for the federal court. Toughest one they have. Maybe I'll throw in with you and your federal marshal. You'll have to talk that over with Rooster Cogburn. Well, it's to our mutual advantage. He knows the land and I know Cheney. It's at least a two-man job to take him alive. And I must have him alive down to McLennan County, Texas. When we get Cheney, we're not taking him back to Texas. We're taking him to Fort Smith and hang. Is it important where he hangs? It is to me. Well, more so to me. There's a well-placed young lady in Waco who would look with favor on me if I brought in Cheney. Now, wouldn't a hanging in Texas serve you just as well as a hanging in Fort Smith? No. I want Tom Cheney to pay for killing my father, not for some Texas bird dog. It won't be for the dog. It'll be for the senator and your father, too. Cheney will be just as dead. Well, if in four months I could not find Tom Cheney with a mark on his face like banished cane, I would not advise others how to do it. A little earlier, I gave some thought to stealing a kiss from you, although you are very young. And you're unattractive to boot. But now I'm of a mind to give you five or six good licks with my belt. Well, one would be as unpleasant as the other. Lay a hand on me and you'll answer for it. You Texans are ignorant of our ways. Good people of this state do not go easy on men who abuse women and children. The children of Texas are brought up to show a little more respect for their elders. I also notice that people of your state gouge their horses with great brutal spurs and cultivate their hair like lettuce. You'll push that saucy line too far. Mr. Labeef, I have no regard for you, but I'm sure you have enough for yourself to go around. <laughs> That's right, Maddie. She won't be pushed around by anyone. The next day, Maddie pays a visit to the man whom her father was to do business with regarding the ponies, and the man's name is Colonel G. Stonehill, played by the great Strother Martin. They are all for sale, except those uh, four scrubby ones. And, uh... Who do they belong to? The heirs of the late Frank Ross. I'm Maddie Ross. And I'd like to sell you back those ponies that my father bought. Well, I fear that is out of the question. My father bought those ponies for breeding. Now, I've looked at them and they're all geldings. You cannot breed geldings. 
Well, that hardly concerns me. Your father bought four ponies and paid $100 for them, and there's an end of it. I want $300 for Papa's saddle horse that was stolen from your barn. You'll have to take that up with the man who stole it. Tom Chaney stole it while it was in your care. You are responsible. <laughs> I admire your sand, but I'm not liable. I will take it to the law. Well, you must do as you think best. We will see if a widow and three small children can get fair treatment in the courts of this city. You have no case. Lawyer J. Noble Daggett of Dardanelle and Yale County may think otherwise. You are impudent. I do not wish to be, sir, but I will not be pushed about when I'm in the right. I'll take it up with my attorney. And I will take it up with mine, Lord Dagnett. And he will make money, and I will make money, and your lawyer will make money. And you, Mr. Lykson's auctioneer, you will fit the bill. You are a damn nuisance. Lawyer Daggett, Lawyer Daggett. Who is this famous pleader whose name I was happily ignorant of ten minutes ago? Have you ever heard of the great Arkansas River, Vicksburg and Gulf and Steamship Company? I have done business with the G-A-V-N-G, yes. Well, he was the one that forced them into receivership. Oh. They tried to mess with him. All right, come inside. Sit down. I will pay a total of $200 to your father's estate when I have in my hand a letter absolving me of all liability from the beginning of the world to date. I want $200 for Papa's horse, Judy, plus another $100 for the ponies. That's $300 total. The ponies have no part in this. I will not buy them back. Then I'll keep the ponies and the price for Judy alone will be $300. I wouldn't pay that for Wing Pegasus. Now listen very carefully, as I will not bargain further. I will take the ponies back and keep your father's saddle and settle for $200. My lawyer would not wish me to consider anything under $300. Now for that you get everything except the saddle. I would like to have that in writing, for what it is worth. When I have it in my hand, I'll remit the extortion money. Now, this is your release. You'll find it in order. You had that already written out. I'll give you a check. I prefer cash. One hundred, two hundred, three hundred. I'm sure you'll find a buyer for those ponies very soon. I have a tentative offer of $10 a head from the soap works at Little Rock. Oh, it seems such a shame to render such spirited horse flesh into soap. I'm confident the deal will fall through. Well, you can expect me back from my saddle. I'm sure I can. Do you know Marshal Rooster Cogburn? Most people around here have heard of Rooster Cogburn, and some people live to regret it. I would not be surprised to learn that he's a relative of yours. <laughs> Who needs a lawyer when Maddie j does just as well negotiating her own business? Maddie returns to the grocery to see Rooster, who is still asleep after a drunken bender the night before. Rooster quickly sobers up when he sees the wad of cash Maddie obtained from Stonehill. While Rooster agrees to capture Ned and Tom, he isn't thrilled that Maddie wants to also tag along for the apprehension of the gang. But he wants the cash, and you already heard how well Maddie negotiates. Speaking of negotiations, Maddie returns to Stonehill to buy a pony for the apprehension. 
Much to his chagrin, she offers to pay him $12 for the pony as long as he shoes it. He agrees mostly because it's a pretty good deal and he wants Maddie out of town and out of his hair. Maddie returns to see Rooster the next day and gets a surprise. Maddie! What are you doing here? I'm having a little conversation with the marshal. Sit down, sis, and have some taffy. This jaybird says he's on the track of the same man we're after, like throw in with us. I've already told him we're not interested in his help. He's gone behind my back. Well, a fellow that carries a big bore sharps carbine might come in handy. We get jumped by elephants or buffalo or something. We don't need him. Got everything ready? All but the grub. I reckon I must have the wrong man. Do you let little girls hoorah you, Cogburn? Would you mind repeating that, Jaybird? There's no hoorahing in it. The marshal's working for me. How much is she paying you? Enough. Is she paying you $500? No. Well, that's what the governor of Texas has put up for this man she calls Cheney. Payment on conviction. $500? Yep. Very little for a man who's killed a senator. Bibbs was a little senator. Hmm. Well, I guess I'll just stick with sis. The Bibbs family's put up another $1,500 for Cheney. Have they now? Yep. What are the terms? Just deliver Cheney. They don't care if he's alive or dead. Ah, that's more to my liking. How you figuring on splitting up the money? Well, if we take him alive, I'll split the 1500 with you, and I'll keep the state reward of $500 for myself. If we have to kill him, I'll give you $500 of the Bibbs money. This man wants to take Cheney back to Texas. That's not what I want. He wants him caught and punished, so do you. I want Tom Cheney to hang for killing my father. It's little to me how many dogs and senators he killed in Texas. Well, you can tell him to his face. You can spit in his eye. You can make him eat sand out of the road. You can shoot him in the foot, and I'll hold him for you. But first, we gotta catch him. You gotta learn that you can't have everything your own way. When I bought and paid for something, I'll have it my way. I don't understand this conversation at all. She ain't going anyhow. Now, you run along home, little britches. Your mama wants you. I told her she could go. No. She'll make nothing but trouble. Well, maybe I'll just catch this Cheney by myself and take all the money. You might deliver him, but I would see to it that you didn't collect a thing for it. Well, how'd you go about that? I'd dispute your claim. I'd muddy up the water. You do that and I'll kill you. I wouldn't count too much on being able to shade somebody I didn't know, fella. <laughs> I ain't never seen nobody from Texas I couldn't shade. Lebby, if you get crossways of me and you'll think a thousand of brick have fell on you. You wished you was back at the Alamo with Travis. Knock him down, Rooster. Oh, Stay out of this. That reward money's just a pig in the poke. All the beef is is talk. Now, I've given you good cash money. Look at him grin. He'll cheat you. Fellas got to think about himself once in a while, baby sister. We'll get your man. That's the main thing. Give me my $25 back. Hand it over. I'll spend it. You sorry piece of trash. I'll get it for you. I'll send oh, it to you. That's a big story. If you think you can cheat me, you're mistaken. You've not heard the last of Maddie Ross. You may well hear from my lawyer, Daggett. Lawyer Daggett? Who's lawyer Daggett? I wouldn't worry about him. I'd worry about our business at hand. And the journey now begins. Rooster and LaBeef leave without Maddie, but of course, she shows up out of nowhere. Now, I've got business across the river, and if you interfere with me, you may land up in court, which you don't want to be. I've got a good lawyer in Jay Noble Daggett. 
lawyer Daggett again. She draws him like a gun. I'm not about to let $50 slide. Get on that horse, then. Wait a minute. I gotta fix my hat. just not get along <laughs> yeah looks like maddie has as much grit as old rooster cogburn as she decides to cross the river herself instead of using the ferry while rooster isn't thrilled about having maddie tag along he's not completely opposed to it either unlike Wabif, who decides to take matters into his own hands Let's see what tune you sing. Ow! Ow! I'm gonna raise welts on you like worms. See what good it does you. You're not hurting me. I'm just mad. Yeah. Are you gonna let him do this? I don't believe I will. Drop that switch, Labeef. Put it down, I said. You're enjoying it too much. You'll find that I go ahead with what I start. You do, and it'll be the biggest mistake you ever made, you Texas brush popper. You've taken her part all along, but you ain't doing her no kindness here. Just leave her alone. Hey, listen, this has given me a plan. When we locate Cheney, we can jump him in the same way, hit him on the head with sticks and knock him insensible. Then we can tie his feet and hands together and take him back alive. What do you think? I don't think you'd like to know what I think. Get on your horse. It's not dinner time by now? Dinner time will come and go without notice on this trip. Get on your horse. The journey continues, and even though Maddie is tough for her age, she's still not battle-tested like Rooster and Labeef. You look like a hog on ice. Bucket is heavy. I'm stronger than I look. What'd you bring for us to eat? Oh, salt, red pepper, taffy. 
Okay, those in your pockets? Yeah, along with cartridges and skinning knife. What are those things? Corn Dodgers. Goodness, how many you got in there? Oh, must be 175. Can scarcely cut at that. Yeah, Chen Lee must have thought it was for a wagon load of marshals. That tastes like iron. Well, you're lucky to be where water's so handy. I've seen the time I've drank out of a filthy hoop print, and I was glad to get it. If ever I meet one of you Texas waddies who ain't drunk water from a hoof print, I think I'll... I'll shake their hand or buy them a Daniel Webster cigar. How long you boys down there been mounted on sheep? Go ahead and have your little joke. But I'll tell you one thing. That little fellow there still be running when that big American stud of yours is winded and collapsed. <laughs> sheep. <laughs> Rooster's got a line on Ned Pepper's gang and decides to make a surprise attack on them by plugging up the chimney with a coat. One of the men is named Moon, and he's played by Dennis Hopper. What are you looking at? Who are you? I'm Maddie Ross of near Dardanelle in Yale County. Oh, what the hell is she doing here? I don't understand it. She's after the man that killed her father. His name is Tom Cheney. He's a whiskey drinker like you. Led to killing in the end. Now, if you'll just answer the marshal's questions, he'll help you. I have a good lawyer at home. He'll help you, too. Don't get to join with these people, Moon. We'll get clear of this. I don't like the way you look. You talking to me, Ron? Yes. So I don't like the way you look. And I don't like the way you're cutting up that turkey. Master, this Quincy's making a mess of that turkey. Do the job right, Quincy, or I'll have you eating them feathers. I hope you go to jail. My lawyer will not help you. It's a shame a kid like Moon losing his leg. Too young to be hopping around on a little peg. Loves to dance too much in sports. You trying to get at me again? I'm getting at you with the truth. We seen Ned and Hayes two days ago at McAllister's. You blow and I'll kill you. I'm played out, Quincy. I gotta have a doctor. I'll tell what I know. I can't do a thing for you, son. Your partner's killed you, and I've done for him. Hey, don't leave me laying here. Don't let those woods get me. Well, I'll see you get buried. Where's Ned Pepper? They're going to rob the Katie Flyer. They're coming here tonight for rematch. They won four horses. You see a fellow with him with a powder burn on his face? No. I, my brother, George Garrett, Methodist circus rider out of Austin, Texas. When's Pepper due here? So my traps, Rooster. Send that money to my brother. Do you want us to tell your brother what happened to you? It doesn't matter. He knows. I'll meet him later walking the streets of glory. Don't expect to see Quincy there. Quincy? He never played me false until he killed me. Maddie finds one of her father's gold pieces on one of the dead men, which means they're on the right path for Pepper and Cheney. So they decide to hide in the hills above the house, hoping that the men return and they can then arrest them. Nightfall comes and no sign of the gang, but we do learn a bit more about Rooster Cogburn. How'd you lose your eye? It was in the war. The Lone Jack, little scrap outside of Kansas City. What'd you do after the war? 
I robbed me a federal paymaster and went to Cairo, Illinois, and bought a eating place there called the Green Frog, married a grass widow. Place had a billiard table. You never told me you had a wife. Oh, well, I didn't have her long. My friends was a pack of river rats, and she didn't crave their society, so she up and left me and went back to her first husband, who was clerking in a hardware store in Paducah. Goodbye, Reuben, she says. The love of decency does not abide in you. That's a divorced woman talking for you about decency. Well, I told her, I said, goodbye, Nola, and I hope that nail-selling bastard makes you happy this time. Did you have any children? Hmm. There was a boy, Nola taking him with her. He never liked me anyway. A clumsier child you'll never see than Horace. I bet he broke 40 cups. Never did get you for stealing that money. Well, I didn't consider it stealing. Didn't belong to you. I needed a road stake. It was like that little high-interest bank in New Mexico. Needed a road stake, and there it was. I never robbed no citizen taking a man's watch. It's all stealing. That's the position them New Mexicans took. I had to flee for my life. Bo was a young colt then. No horse could run him into the ground. When that posse thinned out, uh, I turned old Bo around and taking them reins in my teeth, I charged them boys firing two <laughs> Navy sixes. <laughs> they must have all been married men that loved their families because they scattered and run for home. It's a great line at the end and a bit of foreshadowing as well if you've seen the film. So night comes and goes without a sign of anyone. That changes the next morning when Ned Pepper, Robert Duvall, and his gang arrive. And of course, that dope LaBeef gets trigger happy. That's him hollering. That's the original Mexican Bob with him. You mean there's more than one? Yeah, there's a younger one. But he ain't a patch to this one. Moon! Quincy! him lucky Ned Pepper for nothing. That man gave his life for him. He didn't even look back. Uh, looking back is a bad habit. 
Ned Pepper escapes after throwing one of the guys off their horse and riding away. <laughs> LaBeef ended up shooting Pepper's horse. He's not really a shining star of the Texas Rangers. All right, there's about 40 minutes left, and there's plenty of action to see. It's a Western, so you can kind of guess the ending, but with that being said, the final showdown is one of the most memorable in Western film history, and it likely won John Wayne his one and only Oscar. And even though John Wayne is terrific in the film, again, he likely won finally because Hollywood sort of owed him one at that point in his career. He was basically a living legend at that point. Again, I would say that the 2010 Coen Brothers remake is a better and darker film, but the original has its charm and John Wayne is truly a legend, which means it's definitely worth watching the original for him alone. However, even westerns that were released around the same time period as True Grit, they were a bit edgier. You think about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the Wild Bunch. All right, a few fun facts. So Robert Duvall later complained about Henry Hathaway's directing style, saying that he would tell Glenn Campbell, when I say action, you tense up, goddammit. Now, there is a legitimate sequel to the original True Grit that came out in 1975 with John Wayne and Katherine Hepburn. I honestly don't remember seeing it, but I obviously have because I checked my Netflix history and it says that I rated it four stars out of five. So, And I returned it back in 2015. Good job, Netflix. And so take that rating for what it's worth. All right, we have a special guest, and he's a John Wayne enthusiast, and that's Joseph Staub, who joins me to discuss the original True Grit. And I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Joseph Staub. Welcome back, Joseph. Thanks for having me again, Brian. It's always good to be here. No problem. So we once recorded a lost John Wayne episode on your <laughs> podcast. Uh, so it was only natural eventually when I was going to get to a John Wayne movie that I'd have you on. And uh, so what we're going to start with is, is True Grit from 1969. So this is a fair question for you. Since you are younger, did you see the coen brothers remake from 2010 first or did you see the original uh john wayne version from 69 first i did see the original first it was actually not until very recently that i saw the coen brothers remake oh interesting so why what took you so long um i just never had really had like had the opportunity to watch it i, I got uh probably about a year ago at walmart it was digging through the value bin and they had a uh, uh two disc set of both versions of the film hmm uh, and that was when I first actually watched. I'd always kind of wanted to see the Coen Brothers version, but never just really gotten around to watching it until then. Sure. So, well, without giving too much away about the uh, what we're going to talk about with the 69 version, which version do you like better? Um, and did <laughs> did the remake impress you at all? Uh, the, the remake really did impress me. I, I, I do prefer the original mm -hmm. just because that's what I'd lived with for so long. Sure. Um I definitely think I, I really appreciate how they did it because I think it, it gives the film the ability to stand on its own apart from the 69 version. Right. It, it's not one of those late 90s, early 2000s carbon copy remakes <laughs> exactly. of older films that you got a lot between stuff like Psycho or a lot of these films that were in the like early 2000s. Um, I think it was one of the it was one of the few remakes that really could stand on its own two feet compared to the original film. Right. And those are the ones that work best, you know, when they don't try to be carbon copies. So that's a great point. So it's often said that John Wayne kind of won the Oscar for True Grit, more of it, you know, a lifetime achievement award as opposed to uh, did he really deserve it for, to play Rooster Cogburn? Do you agree with this? And if not, uh, what role would you have given him uh, the Oscar for, for, for a different film from his, from his filmography? I, I mean, I, I kind of 
agree and disagree. I agree in the fact that he had never won an Oscar for the numerous great characters he'd portrayed from stuff like The Searchers or Rio Bravo or the Alamo or stuff like Mm -hmm. that, where all these different characters he had portrayed, some very similar, some very different. Things like Red River, where he portrayed more of a villain role for most of the film. Right. But honestly, as someone who enjoys this film as much as I do, it's it's hard to argue that he didn't deserve the Oscar for this film. Mm-hmm. Because it was very much a different character than what he was used to portraying. He was used to portraying... I usually use Rio Bravo as like the stereotypical John Wayne character. Right. Either something like Rio Bravo or even more more likely El Dorado, where he's kind of like this like omniscient figure almost, <laughs> where he the, the action kind of happens around him, and he's just kind of the one that gets caught up in it and has to figure out how to get everything back to the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> um, whereas in this film, he's a like they say he's a drunk, overweight, one-eyed cowboy, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> And uh, it, it definitely allowed him to have more fun than he did it in a lot of his other roles and just some great lines and some great moments between him and Maddie and the other characters. And I think that just um, I really do think he earned that Oscar for this role. One thing I after I saw the remake, which I saw in the theater at the time, I almost felt like. When I revisited the original, it almost felt more lighthearted and there was more comedic elements than the darker version. Did you feel that, too, after kind of rewatching uh, the original? I, I did. I did. I think I mean, of course, there are some dark moments in the original. But when you sure. look at the remake and then compare the two, I mean, there there are some funny moments in the remake just by the way. I mean, it's a Coen Brothers film, so the dialogue sure. is going to be there's going to be some witty moments of dialogue. But, I mean, nothing compared to the, the way that the characters interact in the original and the interaction between Kim Darby and Struther Martin and mm-hmm. um, yeah, exactly all, all the different interactions between Rooster and Labeef mm-hmm. and some just some different interactions between characters. I, th- I think that looking back at definitely, as compared to the remake, is definitely more lighthearted, even though it does have its moments of like seriousness. Oh, definitely. And uh, I think that also the music is more almost upbeat in the original. And I think that's just a, a sign of the times as well. How did you feel about Kim Darby as Maddie? And would you have rather had Mia Farrow play the character? Cause that supposedly was the, uh, one of the choices. I, I kind of go, I kind of go back and forth on Kim Darby in this role. I think there are certain moments where the characterization fits perfectly but there's some moments where it's just like it, it's too rigid almost, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, going out, like, I understand, like, she's supposed to be a, like a well educated girl and supposed to, like, and like she's trying to hold her own in this world. But I think sometimes it just seems like too deliberate. Mm-hmm. And the, the way that she enunciates everything to death. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, the scene with her and Strether Martin is hilarious. Yeah. And I think it's played perfectly there. But then there's some scenes where I think it just it, it kind of sticks out in a bad way. I don't know if that was necessarily her or if it was the way that they wanted the role played. Right. So that that's where it's, it's kind of hard to decide whether another actress would be better or not, because we wouldn't we don't know. I mean, we it's 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 hard with films 
of a certain era where you don't get nearly as much behind the scenes information as you would with a film today. True. To know whether that was her characterization of Maddie or if it was what the director was kind of pushing her to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where Haley Steinfeld kind of had the benefit of uh, time and, uh, Mm -hmm. and she was younger and, and she actually looked more the younger part than Kim Darby did. Um, And that's just, again, the difference of the time. Uh, Now here's another one. (laughs) Supposedly Elvis was supposed to play with beef instead of Glenn Campbell. How do you think that would have been? I do not think that would have worked at all. I think it would have taken away from the the, the film and the story. I think at that time, Elvis movies were Elvis movies. You watched (laughs) a movie for Elvis to sing his couple songs. It's kind of like a movie we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Where it's a central part of the movie and that's what you're there for. Yep. And everything else around it would just be awful. And I do not think he and John Wayne would have played well together at all. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think John Wayne would have wanted to play opposite Elvis because of it being that kind of upstaging. I think Glenn Campbell works perfectly in this role. Uh, mm-hmm. I really do. He, he brings the right amount of like sarcasm but I think he portrays it very well, and I, I think it would have been distracting if somebody the the uh, the celebrity stature of Elvis would have been in the film. Yeah, agreed. Uh, speaking of other people in the cast, it actually is kind of a who's who eventually of what would be famous actors. You had uh, a young Robert Duvall, Dennis Hopper. You had mentioned Strother Martin. What are some of your favorite side characters? I, I really enjoy Dennis Hopper as Moon. I think it's. It's it's a definitely a different role for him. It's more understated and kind of like meek of a character compared to a lot of his later films where he's the one shouting and screaming and raising a fuss. You think of things like Blue Velvet or mm-hmm. Speed or the uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Right. Um. It, it's very it's it's very much a different character. Almost more, uh, kind of like some of his earlier films. But it's 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 definitely a neat little kind of um, just a few minute cameo in there. And then, of course, I think Robert Duvall is really, really good as Ned Pepper. And I think his characterization there is complex where it could have been very one note. I think that you, you see, especially as we like you, you hear from Rooster, mm-hmm. his description of Ned Pepper. And it just seems like this stereotypical ruthless villain Mm-hmm. But then once you start to see Ned and how he acts and how especially how he, the the few little conversations he has with Maddie, it, it lets you know a little bit more about his character and that he has a little bit, a couple more layers to him. The the kid that got shot now, he shouldn't have risked his life for him. Right. And he should have cared about his own life or I, I've never hit a woman. But suffice to say, you know, I would do it. Yeah, I think it's it, it has some more layers than a stereotypical villain of the time would, especially a Western villain. I think he's really good. And of course, Strother Martin's role is awesome. And then seeing, finally seeing uh, John Fielder come in at the end as lawyer Daggett. Right. Um, and just, you're, you're not what you're expecting at all. No, no, which is great. Um, so I think, I think those are definitely some of like some of the best sort of smaller uh, roles in the film. So what are some of your favorite scenes? And then obviously this, the ending scene is kind of iconic now. I, I almost think he, and I think some have said, he basically won the Oscar because of that final yeah. scene, but the showdown scene. Uh, yeah. Do you agree with that? And again, what are some of your favorite scenes? 
I mean, yeah, that the showdown scene and the fill your hand, you son of a bitch. That right. um, it's 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 when people think of John Wayne nowadays, that's like one of the first thing that things that comes to mind. Sure. And I th- I think that's a great scene, and the scene with Quincy and Moon, and mm-hmm. that's a great scene, and a, a, a lot of the little interactions between Maddie and Rooster, uh, before they leave for the before they leave. And when they're on the hunt, I think it's, there's some great little interactions there. Sure. The be- the best parts of this movie are just there's a lot of little vignettes almost. It's yeah. As as compared to just like a sweeping epic movie, I think it's 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 a movie of moments more than just a, 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 a an overarching story. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to put it. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay, was there anything new you picked up from your you know latest viewing? Some of the things that like more recently have stuck out to me that especially comparing to watching the remake, mm-hmm. you, you see the like the characterization of Maddie trying to survive in in the world that she's living in, not taking being taken seriously both as a as a girl and a younger girl and more of kind of like a tomboy. So she's kind of like not what the era was expecting of a younger girl. Right. Um, how she's trying to navigate it. And she's coming across these other sort of misfits almost. Rooster Cogburn is a one-eyed fat man living in a shop with a Chinese man and a cat. Right. Um, and actually, that's a great side character, too, the shop yeah, owner. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's he's awesome. And then uh, Labeef is kind of this misfit almost. He's yeah. this Texas ranger who has a French name and <laughs> acts all this big talks all this big talk and kind of acts a little oddly for someone in his position. And then you come across all these misfit outlaws mm-hmm. and each one of them has kind of their own weirdness about them. The one clucking like a chicken all the time. And <laughs> they all kind of have their own thing going on. And I think it's really interesting to see how Maddie's trying to navigate through and realizing that, even though she kind of feels like she is this kind of misfit outlier in society, she's coming across all these other people that are the same way. And I think really kind of connecting with some of them. Did you ever see the sequel uh, from 75, which is called Rooster Cockburn uh, with um, Catherine Hepburn? Yes, I have. I I think it's not a (laughs) nearly a spot on this film, but um it, it, it's 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 good to see John Wayne reprise the character. I don't think it works nearly as well. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely interesting to see him rep- reprise the character. Right, and he's towards almost that. Was that his final film or close to his final film? Oh, uh, it was it was close. I think that was seventy five. I think the shootist was seventy six. Okay, so there you go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do this to you because again I kind of <laughs> mentioned the last uh, interview we did. Greg Barnes, uh, where would you rank uh, True Grit in your favorite John Wayne movies? I'm trying to remember where I had it at that point, but it's definitely in my top five, maybe even okay. my top three. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember where I had it ranked at that point. That's probably been two years at this point. Yeah, I know. I, I, I definitely, it's it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, I know you had uh, Rio Bravo was run, right? I think Rio Bravo was my number one. Yeah. I believe so. And I'm probably, I'm, I'm thinking... I'm I'm thinking the shootist was up there as well. Okay. So it's 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 definitely in my top five, possibly my top three. I'd have to sit down and look at all my all my John Wayne movies again. 
<laughs> well, hopefully someday on your computer recover that because that was a fun long episode, but we had a good time doing that. So hopefully you can recover that. Hopefully I'm trying to go through that computer right now and try to pull out some files. I'm hoping to come across it somewhere. Well, there you go. If you do, I will plug it and uh, and that would be fun. And I hope Greg Barnes is doing well and I hope he's listening to this. So again, as always, thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Brian. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.